0: Welcome back to the Mastering Video Marketing Podcast. I'm Tony Rialli. And I'm Ben Carlson. And today we are live streaming again, this time from TikTok. So if you are a TikTok uh, viewer,
1: a consumer of the TikTok. Aficionado, if you will. Yes. Yeah. Uh,
0: feel free to check us out. We've been, um, we release our, our daily content across all of the major social media platforms, TikTok, uh, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube Shorts, uh, t- Twitter, Twitter, LinkedIn, LinkedIn all, all of That's them. So the today we're live streaming on TikTok. So uh, again, if you, uh, uh, you hear us occasionally look down, uh, Ben is monitoring the feed right over here. So if we have any questions that pop up, he will, will contribute them to the podcast. But today we're gonna be talking about uh, doing virtual production on a budget. Now, for those of you that are, are unfamiliar with virtual production, the easiest way to describe it, or the way that I like to describe it is basically it's, it's in-camera visual effects. So if we think of in the past, how you know, visual effects have been done Typically, you would be shooting something on a green screen, and then in post-production, we would add a digital background to it. Uh, But green screen is a very limiting uh, form factor. You know, it's uh, when you have reflections, when you have shallow depth of field, when you have uh, foreground elements or lens filtration or light bloom, all all these things that you would typically want to get in camera. It's very hard to do it uh, on a green screen. You have to usually do that. Uh, all is different layers in in the visual effect. It's hard to just do it and shoot it. Um, But Mandalorian popularized the ability to shoot in-camera VFX. Um, It had been being developed by other companies prior to the Mandalorian, but that's kind of where it got the most Hollywood traction is where they basically built a giant LED wall. They call it the volume. And uh, they used not just shooting uh, the camera on that screen, but also using high-end computer software to be able to do the real-time rendering of the background. So, again, it's one thing to be able to shoot against a static image, but if you move the camera, it starts to give away that, that there's just a screen behind right. the person. So by having tracking on the camera and doing the real-time rendering right in the engine of the, the the visual effects software, and then rendering it immediately on the screen directly behind the talent, you're able to then mimic and and, and kind of fool that depth that you would have if, if you're in a, a giant room or a small room, whatever size the room is, it creates the proper parallax and in real time. So it's really cool. It's really expensive the way that they're doing it. They, you know, they they have like a like several hundred million dollar uh, system that they used. Uh, so the question is like, how do we how can we incorporate that into smaller budget productions? And I'm um, sorry, go ahead. No, I
1: was gonna say I've you know in in our developing you know the system that we have, we've done a lot of research, we've done a lot of homework, and I was amazed at how many budget friendly options were out there. And I was like, yeah, this, this is only three, $400,000 and this could all be yours too. And it's like, well, that's, and that is cheaper than the, you know, almost 500 million that they put into Mandalorian, but still pretty inaccessible for most producers, most content creators, or for those of you out there that are in uh, marketing advertising that are looking to step up your game how do you do that on a budget? I mean, yes, you know, you can stand in front of a screen, but that has its own challenges. So, what do you how do you make that effective and uh cost-effective at the same time?
0: Yeah, and you know, in, the reason that in-camera VFX is so important isn't just the fact that oh, it makes things a little bit easier, but typically in the world of Hollywood, uh every visual effects shot has to be measured out, and that uh it changes the budget. So, let's say like you typically in in the realm of Hollywood, they would they would say um, this movie has 500 VFX shots, or it has 300 VFX shots, or it has 800 or 1,000. Uh, and each one of those shots has to be budgeted for. And let's say on the day of the director's like, hey, I would like to get another angle where we're looking back over here. Well, if it's a green screen VFX shot, that either has to be budgeted for, or it has to be, you know, like, nope, we don't have the budget yeah. for that. But when you're doing real-time in-camera VFX, uh, you can shoot like you would in a real location. Right. So if you're like, I wanna get extra coverage over here, I wanna get a pickup shot over there, like those are all things that you can do without it suddenly jumping the budget up exponentially.
1: And even more fun, I mean, we've you know we shot a couple of virtual productions where we actually had to go location scouting, but you're doing it virtually. And so mm-hmm. you say, I don't know, you know, maybe I want to, I like this scene, but I wanna try something a little bit different, let's move the camera, let's move everything over, and you actually can manipulate the whole scene and find a new scene that works better for what you're trying to do or even better say, Oh, you know what? I really want this boulder to be bigger. Boom. You just lift up the boulder, and make it bigger. Oh, I need more trees here. Click add more trees. Right. Ah, you know what? I really wish this was set more at uh sunset versus midday. So you can literally in, in unreal, you can set the time where you make it six o'clock instead of three o'clock or even go beyond that and say
0: like, I don't like that. The sun is there. Yeah. Move the sun. Just click and drag. Yep. It's amazing.
1: Yeah, it's a lot of fun.
0: So uh, we have been uh, incorporating it into our productions. And like I said at the beginning, like the idea is we wanted to be able to do it on a budget,
1: not just like
0: do it because we love uh, in-camera VFX. We think it's a ton of fun. Um, but also it has to be able to incorporate into our productions where it's not... Um, like, frankly, if you were to rent out a uh, an LED wall studio, a virtual production studio in some of the major cities... Uh, ones that are in the million dollar plus build out range for a full crew that know what they 're doing yeah. that can manage the the software the hardware all of that kind of stuff it 's typically ten to twenty thousand dollars a day, and for most of our clients, that would put it into the range of not being worth the extra effort to right. to do a traditional production. Um, yes again there 's a ton of things that you can do that you can 't do in in traditional productions, but when we push it into that budget range, it just becomes out of that that attainable level so for us we 've been trying to find ways to make virtual production more cost effective, not cost prohibitive and the first thing that we did was first of all, say, how can we do this with a, a more cost effective screen Yeah um, LED walls are great, but they are still expensive. And the reason that they are expensive is because you have to have uh, a tight enough pixel pitch in the LED wall, otherwise you start to see the gap between the pixels and you get that more pattern issue. Um, if you've ever shot, especially back in the day with like DSLR video where they were doing pixel binning to try and get the resolution that, you know, like you were shooting at a 24 megapixel video, uh, or like, a, like the 5D Mark II, for example, 24 megapixel uh, imager, but then it had to shrink it down to an HD image. So basically it basically was throwing away pixels, and in order to do that, it kind of like skipped pixels, and then all of a sudden you would have, if you had like a t- even like this shirt, which has mm. kind of a, you know, a little bit of a pattern to it, it would probably go more a crazy on a, like a camera like the 5D Mark II because... You start to see like um, patterns that develop between the finite pattern mm. in the image. So, being able to have uh, that pixel pattern in the display not be so uh, so ga- gaping, so yeah. wide that you then see that that pixel between the image, um, that was super important. Right. Uh, but because of that, when you have a tighter pixel pitch you typically then have a higher cost yeah. and also a higher power consumption because it's driving <laughs> yeah. a heck of a lot more pixels. It requires more processing power to drive all those pixels. Right. It just becomes expensive. The, the bigger and, and um, more elaborate those types of things are. So what's the next option to still do a large screen?
1: Well, let me ask you this. What happens, what about for those that are saying, all right, well, I obviously can't do an LED wall, but what about an led panel we have a tv why can't we just use a tv
0: sure so um i know a lot of people that do use the large screen televisions for their virtual productions again you know even like this is a 70 inch tv behind us but you know it still it doesn't like fill the whole screen behind us uh you can put talent directly in in front of it but you'll even notice at the top we're getting a little bit of glare from our pancake lantern that we use to light both of us so we have to just really angle it and, you know, you might be able to notice, but that TV is at a pretty harsh angle to minimize that glare. You know, we've been able to get it so that in camera it isn't super obvious. But if you were to stand next to it, it's, it's at a pretty harsh angle.
1: Or for those of you on the live stream, you can see, I mean, you, you, you can, can see that you glare. Yeah, glare, exactly. Yeah,
0: clearly. So, trying to minimize the glare and not have it be uh, reflecting, even on a matte finish TV, which this is it's not like a, a glossy finish it's still you get glare yeah. off of it, so the LED panels don't have that that uh, uh, reflective like you know surface in front of it, the protective surface in front of the panel um, and so minimizing the light spill on on a TV is very, very difficult when you're trying to light talent. Um, so a, even an 80 inch TV, even a, you know, they make them up to 90, a hundred inches start to get really exponential right. in cost, but that's still not big enough really yeah. to do a much, you can do certain shots, but it's, you'd have to get the talent pretty close to the TV and then you're going to have light issues. Right. Um, so what's the next option for a large screen? A projector. Right. Uh, I mean, there's really not that much other technology, either large screen TV, then there's projector, and then there's LED walls. That's kind of really all there is from a technology standpoint. But again, projectors inherently have their own issues. You have problems with, uh, you know, the the light spill, you know, again, trying to keep the lights off of it, you know, and also projectors typically have a maximum, uh, you know, d- distance and size that they can project the image over the top yeah. of, um, and also, you know, you've got uh, the the light beam issue of you know <laughs> with the TV, you can be standing right in front of it, but with the projector, the light it beam from the projector could smack you in, in the face. face exactly. Yeah. So there were still issues with the projector, but we found that that was the better option for our needs and to be able to create the screen size that we have. So I'll I'll mention again, we have a lot of videos on our on our YouTube channel, Next Wave DV, if you want to check those out. Um, but today we're just talking about you know the just a, a normal conversation about how we, we came to this process. But uh, we have a 150-inch screen, uh, and we use an ultra-short-throw projector, so that minimizes that light beam issue. Yeah. Um, the projector isn't going from across the room. It's literally a few inches in front of the projector screen.
1: Which means that we can get within a few inches of the, exactly. of the screen if need
0: be. Uh, we're also using a, uh, an ALR, or ambient light rejecting screen, so that helps reduce the light. It's basically designed to reflect the most amount of light from the angle that's being hit at it from where the, it's basically like having a bunch of little micro mirrors that that angle the light best. It still will get spill from it, but it's just less spill from other lights. And then as we're lighting, we're typically trying to not have the lights point directly at the screen. We're having them angling them towards the talent and we have light grids and flags and everything that we can possibly put on there to minimize the spill on the screen. And then even with that, there are like lighting ratios that we have to follow in to try and get the, um, you know, the a projector has a certain range, you know, your black levels to your white levels. So we kind of have to pick an end of the spectrum. Either we're going with a hierarchy look, or we're looking going with a more dramatic look. If yeah. we try to stretch that range too much, our blacks are going to look too gray, or our whites are going to look too milky. Yeah. So. There's a lot of things that we've had to, to learn in this process. I've had to learn how to light properly, mm-hmm. and it's taken me months. Every time we do a production, I get more and more comfortable with sure. it, and I've learned how to do it better and better. Yeah. But all that said, it's allowed us to do some amazing work that would have been nearly impossible on a green screen or just completely cost-prohibitive. Yeah to do outside of shooting it right in camera. Yeah. And we're going to talk about a few of those productions because it's been a lot of fun. And,
1: it really is, and we've,
0: yeah. We've incorporated, again, the, the big thing for us was how can we incorporate this into our workflow where we can just really quickly and easily be like, no, we're going to do that as a virtual production. And it doesn't change yeah. the budget for our clients at right. all. Um, so the first one I'll mention, um, just because it, even though it was the simplest thing, it really made the most sense to us. Mm. Um, And several months ago, we were doing a project for a company uh, that does medical uh, products. Yeah. And we need a shot in a doctor's office of the doctor showing a pamphlet for the product to a patient. Simple as that. Now, think about it. If you had to do a shoot at a doctor's office, it's it's a lot. Either we'd have to build a set, which again, time and cost cost prohibitive, or, we have to go to some sort of a medical facility and shoot in a doctor's office yep. or something that looks like a doctor's office that in and of itself booking that location, trying to get approval to get into a medical location, you know medical stuff lately you know you have masks and right. vaccinations and all that kind of stuff that you yep. have to deal with um it was for one one scene S- we sm- basically did small three shot, shots, yeah. yeah, it wasn't. So we could have done stock footage but the problem was in fact we did some you do some stock right. footage from the other parts of the video but this specific shot the client wanted that look of that them holding their specific pamphlet right. and their specific, yeah, specific actual product. branded information Exactly. So and and uh, so basically we were like, well, let's just do it on the AR wall. So we, we got a doctor's office and we put it back there and we stuck the talent and the doctor in front of it and it literally took us an hour to get the shot and we were done and then we were setting up for the next shot. Yep. The other thing about it that was awesome was the client, their, their colors for their brand are orange. Right, orange and white. Yeah. And they, they were kind of wanting an orange doctor's office. Well, that again is, <laughs> is a hard thing to just blatantly do. Yeah. Um, you know, we, again, we could have built a set, we could have, you know, but we're not going to go paint a doctor's office that's, you know, very yeah. in, you know, cost prohibitive. Because so, then you have to paint it back. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, we used an AI image generator. Yeah. We, we used Mid Journey, and Ben hopped on there, and we prompted, it, said, give me a doctor's office, sun, like, you know, sunny day, yep. and have the walls be orange. And bam, it spat it out, and we had that perfect orange doctor's office, and it matched the color brands. And again. Typically that would have, it would have just been like, well, that's not an option. Yeah. yeah. Um, but being able to do it really quickly, like again, the AI image generator did it in like 60 seconds. And we had, after a few prompt changes, we had exactly the image that we needed and we were ready to go.
1: And what's neat about it is, you know, just like we were saying with the, with the AR wall, you're able to click and drag the sun, move it where you need it. With AI, you have to be a little bit more specific in how you prompt uh, the photos, but we were able to do something very similar where we were able to give it, give us this lighting for this time of day. Um, and you can even get even more specific. I want this type of lighting from this direction coming in a window. Um, you can set not too much background cover so you don't see, you know, you wouldn't expect to see trees moving. And it worked Flawlessly. I mean, it really, even though we've we've done it, we've used the technology, even we when we sat back and watched it, we're like, holy cow, this looks amazing. Like it it really turned out far better than I could have expected.
0: Intercut with all the other footage, you would never guess. Yeah. Just by looking at it. And it took what would have been almost a whole day to get the gear there, get into a doctor's office, do the setup. It it literally took us you know an hour yeah. to, to get that shot yeah uh, and so it literally it didn't go from like oh this is the same cost as something else it actually made it cheaper for Much. us to do it yeah because we had other stuff that we had to shoot that day and we were able to shoot a lot more right so that was amazing and that really kind of opened up our our mind to this is how we can use this to really incorporate into our productions um, because again like sometimes you need to get that shot and the difference between Getting it and just having to throw that shot completely away. We've talked so many times that, you know, when we're creating a concept for a client, we're looking at, you know, making sure that the concept is not crazy. Like, oh, hey, we're going to have this one shot that's, you know, in front of the Empire State Building. Okay, (laughs) well, then we got to do a lot of travel to get there. Like, so maybe we cut that, that shot out. So being able to use the ARL again, it's not perfect. It doesn't solve every problem, yeah. but having it as a tool in the kit, just as as a camera or a lens or you know motion control yeah. or whatever it might be, it's just really nice to be able to pull it out when we we have those needs. Yeah.
1: Or you know, there was another example where we were shooting a realtor. Shout out Christian Munez. If you guys need a, a Green Bay slash Appleton Fox Valley area realtor, Christian Munez, he's your guy. Great guy, um, young up and coming uh, realtor who was understanding the power of social media and in advertising. And we were able to, he got us, he had a great house that we were able to film in. And we filmed a bunch of um social media ads for him. Uh and but it was a house that was for sale. And uh we he needed a new edit done. And we had just happened to grab a couple plates where we took some just still video of the fireplace going. It was really nice. And um it allowed us to, when he said, hey, I just need a couple edits we didn't have to try and get back into that home that probably has a homeowner by now, or um, we didn't have to try and do logistically get back on location. It was, yeah, come on in, we'll set it up. And it took us 20 minutes to get everything set up. We were, He was in and out in an hour, which as uh, if you are a professional and you're trying to find ways to create efficiency in your advertising, how can we kick these out quickly? Virtual production has become such a game changer where we really are able to change up sets, change up lighting, change up styles, with literally just a few clicks of a button and we're able to get our clients so much more specific and so much higher results just by putting them in front of our wall exactly
0: and you know you might say why uh why not just do the whole thing in virtual production well when we were doing that house specifically we did a home tour right. with that location yep. so he walked around and showed off the location and then um then we shot those those in front of the camera. And so the shooting the background plates was just a hey, let's just grab these just in case. Just, and of yeah. course, right after he's like, Hey, I need to shoot some re-edit some of this stuff. Yeah. And so it's just become a new habit for us. It's like when we're shooting on location, let's grab some background plates of some different uh, angles and we've used them. We've yeah. come back to have them in our in our tool belt because like maybe times we just need to get a talking head shot and instead of either doing it on a plain background or something like that, we can throw the person back into that location and then create that continuity in, in the stylization of it. Um,
1: all they think we do is push buttons. We're just giving them more reasons <laughs> to think all we do is still push buttons.
0: For those of you listening, that was Sean Bowers, our director of post production,
1: um, who and literally for, just pushes buttons all day. That's all he does <laughs> is push buttons. All he does.
0: And uh, I mean, and frankly, for Sean, like you know, we've you've, if you've listened to our podcast, you've heard like Sean has gone also into the role of directing our, our esports division of our arcade, and you know, he doesn't have infinite time either. So by having virtual production, it allows us to be able to continue to offer a high level of <laughs> of uh, VFX into our shots without overwhelming his workload and, and maxing him out as well. So, and again, for me as a director of photography, it allows me to then focus on getting the shot in camera as best as possible. Um, we'll use another example. Um, and, and everything that we're talking about here, I'm planning on doing videos on, on our on our YouTube channel. So certainly subscribe to that because then you'll get to see like the actual footage, you could see more of, of the behind the scenes of how we produce it. Um, but, uh, we, we recently did a project for the green Bay blizzard and Mm. we've been trying to do this project with them for a long time, but the, the, the green Bay blizzard is a indoor football league. Um, but they start in like the, the late winter, early spring. And by then are in, in the area, even though it's, we get snow a lot of the year. Yep. Um, usually by the time the players are around, we're, we're out of snow. So we, we were struggling to get this idea, this concept created, which was the football players kind of doing this epic slow motion uh, in a forest and in the snow in a yeah. blizzard. Hence the name, Green Bay Blizzard. <laughs> um, and so initially we, had, we weren't able to do the shot for the longest time. Finally, we were doing uh, – they had a practice camp up in, at Michigan Tech and fortunately, up there it's a little bit snowier, so we we headed up there and we shot uh, a bunch of footage for them, some interviews, and we were able to get the footage that we've been trying to do for years for this project. Excuse me, but the, we still ran into the problem of there. Were, it was it was a it was a logistical headache i to <laughs> put it mildly. Yeah. Um, like we had we needed more crew up there to get everything ideally. There were problems with technology in, in the cold. where our, our snow machine was freezing up. Our the fog, fog machine, machine was freezing up. Um, <laughs> the players were freezing the players up. Were, you know, most of them were not used to sub-zero temperatures. Uh, so oh, anyways, gosh, yeah. we, we were able to get a lot of the shots, but there's still several shots, some close-ups that I needed to light better, that I needed a little bit more time with. Um, so we came back to our virtual production studio we put just a generic snowy forest in the background
1: we found one stylistically that right. match. again using ai we exactly. were able to exactly and we prompted
0: it multiple times we are like ah man more trees bigger trees more you know birch, whatever we, more, yeah.
1: yeah snow or no,
0: oh God, get rid of the moon you know or yeah. more edge lighting all you know, yeah. that kind of stuff and then we fogged out our studio we added the snow machine we added some lens flares we shot on an anamorphic adapter and it intercut Beautifully Perfectly, with the stuff yeah. on location. So we were able to get a lot of those detailed shots that would have been – because, again, I needed to take extra time to light them. And in the cold, we had the players for like a minute or two um, just to get yeah. some of those shots. Yeah, we were and, rotating.
1: And, we had about five that would rotate in and out of the van. Yeah. Just warm it was cold. It was super cold. Yeah, and the, and the
0: snow was really deep, too, in the spot that we were shooting. And then when it got condensed down, it became super slippery. So the last thing we wanted yeah. was for the coach to oh – gosh find out that we twisted some player's ankle and so we had to be very careful. We just did the minimum that we could do and then in our studio in the safety of our studio we were able to get all those pickup shots and it worked so great uh, and, and in the intercut beautifully and Sean did a great high energy edit to it that well, we're looking forward to sharing with everybody. Yeah. But it was it solved so much, so much of a problem because again if I had to spend an extra couple hours trying to get these close up shots it would have been
1: we, it would have just been difficult for us yeah.
0: to execute, and we were able to do it and
1: really take that extra time in our studio to get exactly the shots that we needed. What were some of the shots that we needed up there that we couldn't get in the studio?
0: Okay, so yeah, in the studio, you know, there are limitations. We our screen is only 150 inches. If we wanted to get a group of players on a wide kind of coming through the fog and stuff like that, with the some of the lights coming through, you know, the 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 rays of light coming through the trees and hitting the fog. It that some of those shots would have been really difficult for us to get in our studio. Again, someday we'd love to have an LED wall, but right now this is the right tool for the job yeah. for us. Um so that's why we kind of limited it to some of those more medium and close up shots. Um, but yeah, so we We initially, if we weren 't able to get any of the players in in the woods, we were planning on shooting the whole thing in our studio, which we could have done, yeah, we just would have then not done some of those group player yeah. shots, or we might have in fact, we used our, our panel wall that you see behind us um, this led stylized panel wall we used that for some kind of epic player shots as well, and we used some of our tube lights and yeah. and you know, again lens flares and all that kind fogged of stuff, and we fogged the room out and so Possibly we would have intercut that as the wider shots, and then sure. some of the blizzardy shots uh, for for the close up. So mm-hmm. again, developing a concept that makes what you can work with work. Sure. Instead of trying to be at, at the mercy of a concept, instead of make the concept wrap it around. I mean, that's just what a, what a good you know good directors, good good showrunners do is that they say, all right, what what can we work with? What's our budget? Now let's make something amazing for it. Instead of trying to say, oh, here this one shot is going to cost us so much more. What if we did it this way? It'll still look cool and it won't really destroy the budget. Yeah,
1: exactly, exactly.
0: Um, so yeah, and we've done some other projects too. We've done, you know, we did a music video. That one, we do have a behind the scenes on on our channel right now.
1: Check it out. That actually, it was actually nominated. I forget, I don't know how it did at the film festival, but it was actually nominated for a film festival um, because of of what we were able to do with the virtual production. And Also, Emilio is incredible.
0: Yeah, and for for that Music video, the the general concept was that you just wanted to be in a forest and they wanted the artist to be singing directly to camera. Simple as that. Um, But again, trying to drag all our equipment out to a forest would have been
1: a lot of work. Um, And the bigger concept is they wanted to transition from winter into spring, which now we're talking multiple shoot days, multiple seasons, trying to match up, get back on location. Well,
0: and there's ways to do it in camera, but this
1: just requires a lot more setup, a lot more hardware.
0: Yep. And so, again, for us, is we, you know, we seem to be always using a snow machine in a, right. in a lot of our productions, but we, we shot with the snow machine, just very light, plinky-plunky, gentle snow. Yeah. And then as the, the music video progresses, the snow start, stops, and then the, uh, then the sun comes out. Yeah. So we did all that practically uh, manually. You know, again, we were sitting there hitting the snow machine. We did the camera on a motion control move we had the tracking set up and and using the the tracking hardware that we use is the the vive tracking oh,
1: heck um, yeah.
0: which so from HTC it's the same stuff we use for our virtual reality uh, hardware in our arcade right but we're just kind of using it in reverse and having the the camera the, the tracker mounted to the camera then what happens is the background once you get all the software and everything working computer which is a little tricky initially yeah. but once you get it all working the 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 computer knows exactly where the camera is and it renders the parallax of the background in real time right. as the camera's moving around so you get that that fake look of depth in the scene and yeah. it doesn't look like it's a screen behind you it right. looks like you're so a lot of these other shots we we shot somewhat uh static you know so that or or minimal movement but when you have the tracking you can really move the camera around a lot more and it feels like you're in a real true environment yeah and so we did have the tracking working that we're using Unreal Engine, and we were able to move the camera a bit. And it's a very subtle effect, but it's, the idea isn't smack you in the face with right. it. It's that you should not notice it. You yep. should be able exactly. to say, and you know, again, it doesn't, it doesn't look exactly the same as if you were in a forest. Sure. But we're also kind of going for a stylistic look and Almost anyways. like a story, uh, a fairy
1: tale land. Exactly. Yeah awesome wonderland so we fogged
0: the room and we had the snow and we had the the lens flare blooming the camera we had a diffusion filter on it all things that would be a nightmare to do on a on a green screen we did in camera and the post-production on it was really simple it was literally the color grade and that was it yeah there was no in between two cuts yeah yeah and there there was no uh there was no vfx there was no nothing um and it was one of the fastest turnarounds in workflows, considering what that could have been, how yeah, much work no that kidding. could have been. No kidding. So, yeah, I, you know, using virtual production has been a, a great asset for us, and um, you know, our focus has been again, we we definitely want to do an LED wall right at some point, but for it to cost a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars, well, then we would have to increase the rental rate of the facility. Yeah. So. You know, NAB is happening right now, and and you know, in the next episode, we'll maybe do a, a recap of some of the things that sure. stood out to us oh, in yeah. NAB. Uh, we were we were hoping to go this year, but business has been we've been busy, so we haven't <laughs> yeah. been able to make it out. Hopefully, next year we can go back. It's been a while since we've been to NAB. In fact, for those of you that have watched our channel, uh, a lot of our videos for a long time was NAB coverage. So yeah. you know, if you uh, if you want to check out some some of that, you can go back and look at the good old days. But uh, the main thing that I wanted to keep an eye on is virtual production. Yeah. And I feel that we're, we're watching the industry change. Just like when DSLR video came out, it took a couple of years before everybody really took it seriously. Sure. And then the industry started adapting to it and making accessories for it and really kind of embracing that. Yeah. And then a few years after that all the camera manufacturers were like, I guess we got to make interchangeable <laughs> lens cameras now. And then and everybody and their brother from Blackmagic to Sony to Panasonic to everybody was making high-end cinema interchangeable lens cameras. Yeah. Um, and I feel like we're going to go through that same evolutionary change with with virtual production where at first it's, you know, very high-end stuff. Um, even like gimbals would be another good example yeah. where like when MoVi first came out with their gimbal, it was six, seven thousand dollars, ten thousand. I don't know. It was, it was crazy expensive. Yeah. Um And then there were the the kits that you could buy from China that we we did, and Sean uh, <laughs> spent hours trying to get that thing working. Um, and then DJI came out with theirs, and it was way more co- cost uh, effective, and uh, it, you know, push of a button, auto balancing, like so many things were were easier. And now today we have like single handed gimbals that you can throw a DSLR, and it's, it's super yeah. easy. Um, i'm hoping that we'll see that same evolution of a project you know, of, of virtual production the the biggest challenge of course is the cost of the screens yeah um, but you know we we have a, a friend of ours that does uh, panel LED panel installations for like major venues and he told me just even in the last year um, he was pitching a client uh, for a, a pixel pitch of I think about like two point five and then- it was one point eight well, no, he, oh, he was okay. originally pitching in one, 2.5, and then by the time they approved everything right. like that, the cost of the 1.8 pixels were pitch was the exact same as the yeah. 2.5. In the
1: year that it took to just right. create the proposal. For and the, and the smaller project, the number, yeah. the
0: better, because that means the pixels are close. That's the gap between the pixels in millimeters. So a 2.5 pixel pitch has a wider gap between it than a 1.8. So the tighter that those are, the better. Now, as we talked about before, the more the tighter the pixel pitch, that means there's more pixels in a a same square inch or square footage area. So that means that there's going to be more power to drive them and it's going to require more processing power. So it isn't just like, Hey, boom, give me a, give me a better pixel pitch. Yeah. It's not like going from a, a 70 inch TV to an 80 inch TV or something like that. Like it's, there are additional uh, costs that are in inherent to that, but knowing that the panels and a lot of manufacturers because of virtual production are just not making the higher pixel pitch yeah. panels anymore, except for maybe like, Major large exterior venues like at Lambeau Field or something like that. Sure. So, I feel like if we, you know, we kind of sit on this. The other side of it too isn't just the pixel pitch, but there's also the color accuracy and uh, the like the the brightness and contrast Mm -hmm. ratio. So, and and finally the um, uh, the refresh rate. So. Like right now, a lot of the panels max out at about like uh, 60 hertz. So if you try to do slow motion on them, you might be able to do 60 frames per second. Sometimes you get weird ghosting yeah. issues because of that. But some of the new panels are starting to hit 120 hertz. So then, you know, slow motion is becoming an easier and easier thing. Um, so again, like I said, like I'm kind of, our projector system's working really well right now. It's not perfect. It's not as big as I would like it to be. But I I don't want to spend a hundred grand on a panel that a year later we could have gotten five times the performance yeah. on. Um, because it's not something we're gonna constantly keep coming back to and upgrading. Right. So that's where we're kind of just sitting on the projector right now and getting good at it, getting comfortable with it. But at the same time, you know, the different our our projector setup, up, you know, depending on what components that you're looking at, if you're just looking at the projector in the screen, ours was was under six grand. Right uh if you add in the the computer hardware and the tracking you know we're we're under a $10,000 system to do what we're doing which yeah. you know is the cost of a good camera or whatever yeah. um compared to 50 dollars 200,000 as an entry level yeah. for a for a yeah. for um, the low end
1: yeah yeah now tony what about what about those who they're like all right well i just what can i do now you know maybe they don't have 10 grand just lying around um what what is something that they could do You know, I know HTC is coming out with a lot of new technology, but also, like you said, these HTC trackers, the HTC Vive trackers are relatively accessible. I mean, you can get into them pretty easily. Could you could you get into it with just like the trackers and a nice big TV?
0: So uh, if you don't have the space, which is the other thing, um, if you don't have the space or the budget to jump into something like a projector-based system, um, I would still recommend getting familiar with the software. Unreal Engine
1: is a free download. Hold Uh, on. Can you just repeat that one more time for the people in the back?
0: (laughs) Unreal Engine is free to download. Which is
1: absurd. Unreal, thank you so much for keeping it free. But the power and what you can do in that program, it should not be.
0: The other tip that I will give everybody is even if you're remotely interested in this, download Unreal Engine and then uh, just keep uh, going back to the Unreal Marketplace every single month. Every I have a little month. reminder on my phone because they have free assets that you can download that are every month change over.
1: Yeah, like just little cheap nothing assets or are they giant? Typically anywhere from 100 to $400 worth of assets each month. Guys, if this is something that even could be a possibility that you're looking at doing, um, absolutely. Like Tony said, go in and get it and start building your library. There are a lot of things that we download. It's like ah, I, you know, we don't have a need for this, but it's you know, it's a two hundred dollar um, effect where maybe it's like a, the one was um, a physics engine for crumpling cars in an accident. Uh, some are entire environments where you get an entire cityscape. Yeah, the
0: environments are the ones that I really like to get a good library of because, you know, we've used winter environments. We've used sci-fi environments. We've used office you know, spaces. Old West yeah. you know, office spaces, exactly. So, um, and those can typically be anywhere from 20 to $200 a piece. So having a good library of them, we always come back to it and it's, it's great to have. So definitely start building up your library.
1: For free. Exactly. Free.
0: It's wild. And then, if you want to kind of move up to the next level, um you can definitely work with in camera uh tracking and and just basically use a Vive tracker and pretend like you're moving the camera around just purely in the digital environment yeah and you can block out and and shoot entire scenes using like a fake camera, um kinda yeah. like the way that they did Avatar back in the day where it was you know moving around the tracker like it's a physical camera, but then just watching it through like a screen yep. or whatever. So that's one way that you can do it. You can also do green screen. You know, we we talked about the limitations of green screen, but there's still a lot of people that are using green screen right. for in-camera VFX. So what happens is they just basically do live keying. Um, they'll they'll put talent in front of a green screen, and instead of having to have all the tracking markers and then try and match it to, uh, you know, using After Effects or something like that to then track the camera and then put the digital environment in there, they can do it all in camera. So what effectively you're doing is. You're recording the background plate of how the camera's moving, and then you're doing a, you know a live key, so you can see what it looks like in camera, and then you can light the scene and the talent to try and match as best as you can what's happening in the digital environment. Yeah, and you can get still pretty good looking stuff off of there. There's limitations to it. Still, you got to have a nice sharp focus. You know there's right. things that you can you know, that you can't do um, that you can do in 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 camera VFX, but. Uh, it's definitely a great place to get started because and, you can get familiar with the software and the hardware. Yeah. And if you have, let's see, if you have a, a, an HTC Vive or a Valve Index, you've already got the tracking hardware right. there. You would still need to get a, a, a tracker, um, but those aren't terribly expensive. Yeah. Um, and if you have a decent gaming PC, you know, you're you're, not, you're most of the way there.
1: Yeah. Uh, and if you want a little bit more information, um, just a great resource that I've continued to go back to, because it, it mesmerizes me every time. Uh, John uh does some behind the scenes of the new live action Lion King. And that was all shot completely uh, virtually. There is, there's one practical shot from where they, and this isn't a spoiler. This is, he talks about it um, that where they were scouting locations and it's the sun. There's one shot where the sun is rising up in the very beginning and they're like, oh, yeah, that's the same thing that's in the movie. We want to get that. That's the one practical shot. Everything else was shot virtu- with a virtual production and green screen. So uh, it is it is still wizardry to me. I, it is absolutely incredible what they do. But uh, John Favreau is an incredible creator um, and his vision for pushing those boundaries. What I find interesting is when that happened, that was groundbreaking. I mean, to do it at that level and that well, it was like, oh, my gosh, this is the future of video and then not... Two years later, Mandalorian's coming out with, and they're f- filming on this giant LED volume. So it's it's incredible how fast this technology is advancing, and it makes it exciting because that means that it's going to be, become more accessible for the the more everyday day to day creator. All
0: right, Ben, it's time for the pop culture corner. To- only no, you can hear with that. I'm. I'm assuming oh. it's. It's, really fun. it's very fun. It is very enjoyable. <laughs> All right. I guess you. You're probably gonna know what I want to talk about.
1: Uh, yeah, uh, for sure. It's the Love Is Blind, uh, release that there was a reunion. Right. That's what you want to talk about. You. You are
0: the king of romantic stuff, <laughs> no. comedies, dramas, whatever. No, I even
1: I. I no know, no know, uh, shade to anyone who does watch it. That's one that I cannot. Get behind any of the, like the bachelorette. But uh, fun f- and funny. I just, I love Epic Fails from large corporations. And Netflix tried to launch the reunion live, and it crashed terribly did hear about that which a little bit, yeah. which in the in the wake of upping everyone's charges and kicking everyone out is not a good luck netflix i'm just on, yeah. not not a good luck but that's not what you want to talk about today i'm assuming uh no
0: i i'm going to bask in the glory that is picard season three uh we're at episode nine right now uh the penultimate episode mm. to the end of the series and the possible end of that entire era of star trek but uh it's just been awesome to have great storytelling, satisfying conclusions uh you know it's like everything that the Star Wars sequels should have been sure. uh we're getting in this final season. you know the two previous seasons were a bit rough to yeah. say the least um there are certain certainly elements that you know I'll put it this way star trek and and you you never know, talked about this before Star Trek was always designed to be kind of like an anthology show where one episode would be a comedy and one would be a drama and one would be an action adventure and one would be a, a courtroom and one would be a spy. You know, like you could kind of hop around genres all the time. And because of that, one episode might be amazing and the next one might be meh and then there might be horrible. And then the other one might be really engaging. Yeah. So uh, I was okay with Star Trek having the good with the bad. And that would, you know, like again, if we look at the original series of movies, the motion picture was okay. Uh, kind of, Boring, but still visually compelling. Star Trek II, the Wrath of Khan was exciting and, and punchy. Search for Spock, uh, still good, um, but not at the same pace. Star Trek IV, more of a comedy. Yeah. Star Trek V, they fell on their face a bit. <laughs> but then we did get Star Trek Six, where we had a nice conclusion to those characters. So I'm fine with the ban as long as we get the good. Sure. And I, I really feel that it's so important to a franchise to finish strong if they're going to finish at all. Um, and so, like, there, I look back, like, how many 10-plus-year franchises have really stuck the landing? Yeah. You know, Marvel, Endgame, you know, Infinity War and Endgame, I think were a pretty good closing to that era. I know that they continue on, but, I mean, so does Star Trek. There's other series and there's yeah. other things. So, um, you know... I, you could, you know, Harry Potter did okay, well. but it wasn't even that long of a, of a thing. But then, you you know, it's, I, I'm, I'm, my issue with the ending of Harry Potter was that it, it got a little teen angsty in the, the
1: second to last movie. Well, I mean, it, it, it is teen angsty. That's the whole, I mean, it, and, and that's something, if going back, cause I didn't read it at Harry Potter as a kid. I know a lot of people that, you know, they started when they were eight years old and they read it, you know, every year when it came out. Um, but you think about it, like that's, that is the age that was right. And so when I went back and I was listening, um, my wife and I did a six week road trip and we did Harry Potter. We did the whole series on audiobook. audio And I, I remember getting so angry with Harry because I was like, you are just being a little brat. Like, just just stop it. Stop your whining. You're being unreasonable. And I was like, yeah he's 13 in this. Like he is on reason. Like how many 13 year olds do you know? Are they like, you know, rationally, I think we can probably solve this di- group dynamic. If we just kind of talk things out and really express our feel, no, they are, they are teenagers. And so the writing of the book and the stories, See, now,
0: I, I will argue though, like, I'm talking about movies R- and, and right, even t- but, or TV shows, but, but I, and I will argue tooth and nail that you can't take a, what's in a book and apply it to what's in the movie because like a lot of things in the movies of the Harry Potter films were if you didn't read the book they wouldn't fully make sense. Sure, and that is a fault that I think that they they did in that like sure, but because well, I had my my sister-in-law said so many times, well in the in the books they explain this. I'm like yeah. I don't care, I'm not reading the books. <laughs> yeah, like a movie yeah. has to stand alone, and like Lord of the Rings is a great example of like. Sure, they had to cut out certain things yeah. or, or move things, like Shiloh being in, you know, Return of the King and not in 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 uh, Two Towers. That's fine. The movies yeah. are their own version of that story, and yeah. so, you know, I'll I'll let you continue. No, but- I'm just saying
1: say to expect even even in the movies or the book, the writing was still for not grown adults. Well, grown adults certainly enjoy them. Uh, they were still kids and teens movies. Sure. So she. J.K. Rowling wrote characters that her audience could relate to. The film creators created f- movies that their audience could relate to. Yes, it's probably a little bit bratty and a little bit like oh my goodness. Yes, absolutely. That's right. so why I say like
0: Harry Potter went right up to the edge for me, and sure. and it didn't cross over into too like a lot of the the teen dramas of the, the most Twilight. of them I never got into yeah heavily. Well, Twilight definitely, but like even like um, uh, the the. Bow and Arrow, one. hunger games yes yep. okay that one crossed over into it a little bit too hard for me um yeah but like yeah, you know I, I, I like harry potter don't get me wrong i'm just saying like it went right up to the edge of my tolerance of teen angst sure. um without like completely but like the penultimate movie was right right into that nice. and okay. anyway anyways um but even in my definition that still isn't quite then that 10 plus year franchise so you've yeah. got to like the Marvel films, you know, there aren't a lot of, like obviously Star Wars is a great example of one that didn't stick the landing yeah. well at all. Yeah. Um, and kind of undermined everything that came before it. And it had Picard season three, not done as well as it is doing the, you know, seasons one and two had the potential to undermine what came before it. Sure. Um, but it, it, to me, aside from some of the storytelling issues, it's again, we're, we're going through that, that, uh, story arc to kind of finish strong. Yeah. Um, and, and I found it to be incredibly satisfying. I'm yeah. really enjoying what they're doing with it. Uh, you know, I, I'm not going to be spoiling anything in this, but it's just really, really satisfying that, you know, again, all those things that maybe we wish that had happened in the star Wars sequels. Ha- first of all, have the sequels be about the original characters sure. and not about these new characters with a sprinkling of, right. Old, just Allow those like, characters oh, we to we be the hero of the stories. Yeah. Um, allow the you know allow the ships to be the heroes of the stories allow all those those types of things it was just and then not allow the things that had happened prior for the characters to be completely undermined, yeah, you
1: know let me ask you this so so let's let's look at the Star Wars trilogy or the Star Wars sequels. Do you think that Harrison Ford could still be the the star of T- today could still be the star of those movies and the hero of those movies. Would, okay, that, well, let's, would let's, that make he's sense? He's doing
0: Indiana Jones now years after doing the other ones. so I know. we'll see how but, that goes. But would, but,
1: would Han Solo, So would Han Solo make sense to be the hero of the day today, or would it make sense that he is helping the next generation come up?
0: I will say the way that Star Trek Picard Season 3 has done it is the perfect example of how they. the answer to you your question do is yes. Sure. Uh, because and the reason I say that is because they have done great job of writing reasons for these characters to need to come back. Sure, they didn't just stick all the next generation crew into the same ship immediately and go, "We got one more adventure to do." Yeah, they like they had great writing that brought all the characters back together for different reasons, and then all of a sudden they're back together, and mm-hmm. and it was a satisfying moment. It Didn't happen in the first episode. Sure. It happened as the story progressed, and it was well written. And and great motivations, great yeah. reasons for it, and then why they need to come back and save the day, and why they are one of the only ones that can do it, and even how they are doing it in in the way. And again, not to spoil anything, but like what's coming back and what uh, sure. all that. The reason that that's happening makes sense within the story, yeah. And that's what it all comes back to. So don't like I, I remember hearing the the writers. Um, and, the sh- and, and like the director and and, and um, all the execs from the sequels talking about like, we tried to write more for the original characters, but it took away from the new characters. Like, well, then then you're writing wrong. Sure. Um, it all comes back to writing. Yeah. You know, actors can do, there's so many times where like you'll have an actor that like you give them great writing and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a great actor. Like Nicolas Cage might be a great example <laughs> of that where like he's been given some horrible roles that you're like, <laughs> is this guy... Well, how does this guy get work? And yeah. then he's been given like pig or something like that, where he's got given amazing writing, and yeah. it's like this is great. Yeah, same thing. Um, the first two seasons of Picard were, were kind of meh writing. Um, they had some good moments, had a lot of you know cringeworthy moments, but season three has been written so well um, across the board. Like the the main antagonist of it is incredibly satisfying and well motivated. Um, the reasons how these characters came back. Um, everything just very very well written sure. um, and that I always say like, I, I care more about good storytelling than continuity yeah. than, than matching what's come before it if the sequel films had been well written and, and good logic and still only showed us the new characters I would have still been fine with
1: that fair. that's fair so what so I'm I'm thinking of shows like How I Met Your Mother that horribly missed the landing um you know that was one of those like 10 year franchises where it was like we're finally going to get to meet and it's just like oh that that was not it and you could tell the writers and this I think this happens even more so um than long term franchises, but a lot of short term it's like they write for the possibility of coming back and also the possibility of being closed or like that being it so you never really get the final it's never really well written it's never thought of like oh this may be we'll leave a cliffhanger in case we can go we get signed for another season but what do you think was the difference between those kind of those the ones that missed the mark and Picard that has really driven it home
0: well you know first I'll come back to when I say before like how well you stick a landing to me is how well I can return to a franchise Mm. Alias was a show that I really loved all the way up to the last season and they did a horrible job of sticking the landing sure And I can't go back to that watch that. Uh, The Expanse, I really enjoyed The Expanse. The ending of it really was was like they were trying to maybe set up another show. I think they did fine with closure for the main arc, but it's still like, but you left a lot of questions unanswered, so either you need to write another thing or I don't know if I can come back to it. It's it's a hard thing for me to say. Um, I know that... uh, it was only four seasons, but we've, and we've talked about 12 Monkeys a lot. But they did a great job of ha- like having a complete thought, completely thought out. Uh, they knew it was going to be four seasons. Yeah. They wrote it for four seasons and they really stuck the landing well on that one. So, 12 Monkeys is probably one of the best examples of a show that's incredibly satisfying to come to an end of and be like, you did it. Yeah. And I could watch that one multiple times and, and be happy with yeah. it.
1: What I think is interesting is, you know, that as, as the binge culture is evolving and we, you know, it used to be that, oh, uh, you would want to get into movies and like, oh, if you could just get, you know, a list movie, Hollywood celebrity, that was when you made it. And now we're seeing that come back into, no, people want to be on maybe not a syndicated TV show, but they want to be part of a series because now you get, especially if you know, we're going to make this three seasons, that's going to have eight episodes each we can dive into and then tell this story better. Kind of like it it really is the example of Harry Potter where it's like, or or any of them where it's like, oh, there's so much missing, that's missing in the books. If you give yourself, you're not trying to limit yourself to a movie. You're not trying to spread it out and keep that like, will they, won't they going for a lot of the, the, uh, stereotypical TV tropes. You say, nope, this is going to be four seasons. We're going to have this and we're going to just wrap it up perfectly for our audience. I almost feel like that's a better service of storytelling where you can just be like, ah, like an orchestra and just in all of its movements where everything kind of blends together, plays together, builds up for the final finish. And it's just like, oh gosh. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I experienced something I could go back and I can experience it again. I I would gladly go back and listen to this orchestra again or this watch this series again because it is it does have that finality to it.
0: Well, you know, I'll come back to you. You asked the question what what makes Picard's season three unique or maybe not unique but just effective. And it you know, it boils down to the fact that they they wrote good character motivations for for these. So like it isn't that they're not without drama, but the drama makes sense and the right. drama has purpose. Yeah. Um they they have they have mysteries that are opened up, but then they have like short mysteries that are solved shortly after, so you're not just dragging it on. Like some of the worst shows that are obsessed with mystery boxes. Mm. And and I think the the term mystery box has been thrown around incorrectly by a lot of YouTube commentators. Um a mystery box is you know, cause JJ J. Abrams coined the phrase, if you watch his TED talk, which I I enjoyed at the time and now I go back and I I I cringe because the, the man has, <laughs> I like his style, but he's, he's done a lot of harm to Hollywood because of the success he's had with sure. his mysteries. But the fundamental idea that a mystery box, he says it in his TED Talk, is he has this box from his grandfather or whatever like that that he never intends to open because the, the mystery of what it could be is more valuable to him than whatever it could be. Sure. That's problematic in your storytelling because if you get so obsessed with just leaving the mystery unanswered, I'm okay with that occasionally happening. But like you can't hinge an entire series or or movie or whatever like that around a mystery, then never answer it because that's super unsatisfying and it's lazy. Right. Don't just set up like, you know, Lost was famous for this, where they just kept setting up mystery after mystery and, and either not concluding it or not. You know, or just the, whatever the conclusions were, were unsatisfying. Yeah. So that's why I like J.J. Abrams went from one of my favorite directors to one now that I'm a little bit more frustrated with because of that. You know, again, a good mystery should keep me engaged, but then should also have a satisfying answer. Right. And I feel like Picard's been doing a good job of that in this season. Um, and I feel like, you know, the Star Wars sequels did a poor job of that. Where's mm. Luke? Oh, he's just kind of depressed. Who's raised parents? Oh, they're nobody. But Actually, no, they're somebody. No, he changed their mind. Who's Snoke? He's nobody. No, actually, he's somebody. Like, stop doing that. <laughs> um, you know, pick a direction. Yeah. Be coherent. Like, yeah. Be consistent. Um, and yeah, uh, so th- those are kind of my, my two cents when it comes to that. You know, there's one episode left of Picard. We'll, we'll see if there'll be. You know, there's a lot of clamoring for a Star Trek Legacy series after that uh, that would can, kind of continue in this era. Uh, the showrunner Terry Metalis uh, has said that he'd love to come back for it, but nice. we got to see if Paramount Plus like the the one good news is that uh, season three of Picard is the first time that Star Trek has been on the Nielsen's top ten ratings for streaming right now. Oh wow! So they broke through on that, um, and so yeah, That's we'll see if deal. that that actually makes a difference. Um, but yeah, uh, it's it's exciting. I'm excited to see where where the next week goes, uh, and I'm just enjoying this this you know era of. Uh, bring back these beloved characters, and also just doing good storytelling. Again, Star Trek: Six, The Undiscovered Country, was a really satisfying conclusion, but just a really good story too. Sure. So even if you're not a Star Trek fan, you can watch it and go, "That's pretty good." You know, yeah. that was enjoyable. Yeah. Um, and I feel like they're doing the same thing with with season three of Picard, where it's nice. even if you're not a fan of the series, you can still enjoy it. Sure. Um, but if you are a fan of the series, it's incredibly satisfying. Yeah. Nice. All right, well, I think that's, that's time to I wrap thought. up. Sounds good. Been a good another good podcast. Yes, sir. Thanks
1: for yes, watching sir. everybody. Thank you everybody. Join us next time. You bet. Thank you for all those on the live.